Welcome to Field Talk, the podcast where I delve into the minds of professionals and uncover their secrets to success. Today's episode is with yet another inspiring creative and personal friend, Rosalind Lima, a freelance motion graphics animator and consultant, as well as an accomplished illustrator. Roz and I met a number of years ago while living in Taiwan, teaching English and making creations together for shows and digital distribution. Today, she joins me to discuss her journey in the world of creativity, from her early days as a camera operator and video editor, to her most recent role as an animator and consultant for Mad Courses, an educational tech company focused on sustainability education. Throughout the interview, Raj shares valuable insights into working in teams, bringing ideas from concept to finished products, and maintaining a healthy work-life balance. She dives into the intricacies of animation, navigating client feedback, and the importance of collaboration in achieving a desired outcome. Raz also sheds light on the challenges faced by creative professionals in today's evolving landscape with the rise of simple and cost-effective tools. She discusses the need to continuously learn and adapt to emerging technologies, emphasizing the importance of investing in oneself through courses and personal projects. As an illustrator, Raz also reveals her passion for environmental and wildlife causes donating 100% of her artist profits to organizations like the Eden Reforestation Project and the Defenders of Wildlife. So get ready to gain insights from an experienced motion graphics animator and let's get creative. To kind of jump in here, I just want to ask you, you know, how you got started um, with animation and motion graphics and uh, where you where you came from and, and you know, what are you doing now? Okay, so <laughs> if you asked me, let's say 20 years ago, if I would be doing animation, I certainly would have said, no, I don't think so. Because actually when I was a kid, I always wanted to be involved in National Geographic because I love nature and I come from quite a creative family that's um, a family of artists, I guess. Uh, either involved with music or art or acting. And um, so I've always been in a creative mindset, I guess. And I used to entertain myself as a kid, uh, writing little stories and drawing little doodles and things like that. Uh, But I always saw myself, um, even when I was in high school, kind of doing video work um, for some kind of nature channel, specifically (laughs) National Geographic. I was obsessed with it. But, you know, I didn't get into that film school and uh, I ended up studying media instead. And then uh, after I finished studying, I went into video and I was really lucky enough to get a job with this event and music recording studio. So my job was to do the video editing. And uh, how I got in in there is uh, one of my strategies actually for um, getting work is when you first starting out is to offer free services. So I went to them and I was like, hey, this is me. I'm just starting out. How about you guys hire me? I'll work for free for like a month or whatever. I can't remember how long it was. And then they were they were short of hand. So they're like, come on board. And then of course I proved my worth. And then I ended up working there for two years. So I did some like pretty big um 
notable projects with them. Uh, for example, this is terrible, but we did all the camel cigarettes <laughs> promotional work. Oh, wow. So it was like in that stage uh, where they couldn't actually advertise on TV and things like that. Mm-hmm. So then instead they invested a ton of money in, into doing all these events. So mm-hmm. then my job was to go with a camera because I was a camera operator first um, and do like the video recordings and stuff. And then I had to edit them and I had to interview people. So that was all like the the first part of my um, journey with um, making videos. And then, of course, I came to Taiwan after two years and got into teaching and I never gave up doing creative work. I was still doing I was doing VJing and things like that on the side and like making little videos and still doing drawings and you know I never stopped being creative it just wasn't getting paid for it (laughs) (laughs) so after that uh, I went back to South Africa and for about over four years I worked for another media company but this one specialized in broadcasting so we did um, television shows for mostly super sport channel and we would do things like uh sports documentaries so for example we did the oxbow longboarding championships and then my this is where i learned a ton of skills because the company that i worked for was relatively small and they had thin pockets Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they often would hire a smaller crew Um, they would outsource a lot of the work and they would have onboard people like me and although my job was Typically being the video production manager, um, I ended up doing all kinds of stuff. Like I did logistics, uh, which involved like recording all of the timesheets. I did the, I even made quotes for the clients and did client liaison. Um, I did, I directed the camera crews and all kinds of things. But, you know, during this job, I realized that I'm definitely a studio person. So I realized through this time that I prefer doing work in the studio, being creative, and I'm not such a field worker. So that's definitely shifted me off on my way to realizing that um, if I want to continue in this field, I'm definitely going to be focusing on studio work. And, you know, at this time, I was already doing some motion graphics. It was mostly like uh, title animations and things like that. And then I realized that I just love doing graphic design and I love doing um, title animations and why not learn more? So then after this, I decided to do a pretty intense course with School of Motion and I learned more than I had ever learned before. And that's where I really started animating you know, and uh, I'm always learning more and uh, that's how it all started. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, I like the, a couple of things that you said. If I if I can just try to um, backtrack and recall those things, like uh, whenever you were first starting, uh, you offered some services for free. And I'd say that's a great strategy for people that do have kind of that drive and they have time um, that they can spend doing those types of things. Um, you said you didn't realize like how much time exactly that was. It's nice that in your mind, you kind of set a deadline on that so that you would transition out of it eventually. So they didn't take advantage of you. So I think that was really smart and a good strategy for people that are also looking to, um, pick up something new, start a new career, a new path, whatever you want to do. And then working in a smaller company, you also mentioned, is can be really great because you can wear a bunch of different hats and you can kind of explore yes. what 
might fit you best. And that's how you've basically found that that studio work, the uh, doing stuff, um, you know, kind of outside of the field is really where you you shone um, and you thrived. So you just went further into that and you dug in with the School of Motion. Um, and, and how did you come about that school, by the way? Do you remember like uh, how that came into your site? I think a friend recommended it to me. And um, there's a friend of mine back home in South Africa that started working for an agency. And uh, I noticed a huge improvement in his work. And I asked him uh, what was his strategy. And he told me that he actually did this intensive course with School of Motion. Um, so I decided it's pretty expensive and, uh, you have to take some time off to do it. So yeah, I dedicated some time and money to doing that. And I hope to keep doing them because there's quite a lot of courses. Um, one thing I want to say is another more practical reason why I changed is because I realized that, you know, uh, with all creative things, it's very fluid and with between software and between um, technology evolving that sometimes we have to change. So video, I mean, you can download any kind of video editing app and there's free ones. There's ones for like $10 a month and you can actually make um, pretty cool material, uh, content material with these really simple and cost effective apps. So if you, it wouldn't, you wouldn't really be able to get a career in that because now there's like so many video editors and it's become like available to the ordinary consumer. And although obviously there's more skill involved, uh, making something more, um, advanced, I guess. So that's a practical reason why I also decided to change to animation because there's not a lot of animators out there. And uh, it kind of just also embodies the two things that I like, which is drawing and being in the studio, right? I know that you said you studied and um, kind of dug more into the uh, motion graphics in because you figure that specialization is going to get you, I guess, higher paying jobs or more opportunities because there are fewer people. You're competing against fewer people doing that. And that sounds great. And uh, can you tell me any of the projects that you've worked on recently that you're really proud of, uh, something that represents your work? Sure. So another reason why I started animating is because I realized that you can tell stories. And I, I think there's, I think it was Bill Hicks. I can't remember if it was him, but I remember watching one of his comedy shows and he was just like advertising is Satan's baby or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He has a very, uh, off-putting to some, but hilarious to others type of personality. Yeah. And, uh, I just thought, oh my goodness, that he's totally right. A lot of advertising you know, it's has a lot of agenda. But then I realized that you can actually use marketing um, positively. And I realized that there's a lot of people that are using their creative skills to send me positive messages. So you can use it for activism and you can use it for better things than making people want to buy something. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We hope, we hope people will put their creative efforts into things that they actually can get behind. So, uh, so for the last two years, since I've been freelancing, I, I've really been trying to get into, to working with companies that really want to make change 
whether it's with social innovation or environmental education or anything like that. So I was really, really happy to get a call from one of my friends that you know as well, it was Kelly. And she was the project manager for this cool ed tech company that was doing, um, that is doing educational interactive um, videos, which are focusing on the SDGs, which are the Sustainable Development Goals uh, from the UN. And they are going to the Philippines and they're doing, they're recording and documenting all these case studies uh, of indigenous groups and local communities. And uh, they're turning this footage into these awesome, like interactive lessons for students around the globe uh, to learn about sustainability and the challenges that these guys face every day. And sh she gave me a call and she sent me a, a little video example. And she's like, we're looking for someone to make instructional videos um, for the students. Uh, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I, I, I want to do. And to get here for myself, I had actually, I went back to that same strategy I used. I made free content for a company and actually Craig helped me. He did the sound uh, for a company here in um, Taiwan that does environmental promotion. They plant trees, uh, they promote vegetarianism. They do all kinds of stuff. Uh, they're called T-O-A-F. I have forgotten what it stands for, to be honest. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll, we'll look it up and I'll put it in the notes to the episode. Sure, sure, sure. So Craig actually helped me because um, we actually collaborated with those. So that was fun. And, you know, uh, I used those as examples to get this job. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So that basically the portfolio that you were presenting, you added that material in there and that was just stuff that you had done exactly. um, just to kind of practice your skills and then contribute to a company that you could actually get behind. Exactly. Exactly. And the company was super appreciative because they were trying to reach their foreign audience. Um, so they're really grateful to have some marketing stuff to reach uh, people that speak English. Uh, in regards to the project with um, MAD, um, can you tell me something about that that process? Well, as, as in after they said, all right, Roz, we'd want to start working on this project. Um, what was kind of the steps or the process that they went through or that you went through with them? Could you go through that in a little bit of detail? Okay, so the first thing was a meeting. It, look, it, it is a startup company and uh, things were a bit chaotic for the first month or two. I think mostly because they had never made motion graphics videos before. So although they originally hired me as the motion graphic animator, I soon became also the consultant and also <laughs> the person who helped them with the script writing. And I think everybody in the team, it was a team of over 20 people, I think, um, some of the roles were crossing over. So the steps were, I had a meeting with them and tried to, which you should always do. You should always try and get as much information as you can, um, by doing research on your own about the company, about their goals, their brand guide, of course, usually they'll, they'll give that to you. Um, and then in the meeting itself, try and fill in the gaps and ask as many questions as you can so that you can quote appropriately. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a work in progress. At, I must say that I messed up a little bit 
the first round, but then the second contract that I signed with them was much better because I had learned from my mistakes. So after that, um, after we've had the meeting and we've uh, come up with the idea, then it is the script writing, which they did. Um, and then they sent me the script and then I had to go through the script and just suggest changes because they can't think of it in a visual way. So I had to help them think that way. So we made an extra column on the script and then that column is used for visual ideas. And that is key in doing any kind of video or motion graphics project. You must have the visual ideas in place first, you know? And then they, they also started helping along with that. They started thinking more in a visual way um, which saved a lot of time in the end. The second round that we worked together went much more smoothly. Okay, so after the script is done, then is the voice recording. And our friend Kelly did the voiceover. Um, also, if I had suggestions or anybody else did. Remember, something that I forgot to mention is between each step, it's very important that the client must approve each step. Because as soon as you go on to the next step, and they haven't approved the one before, then later on the project, you're going to be coming back to fix that one thing in the script and it's going to just send you completely backwards. And that happened a few times. It's a, it's a pro re reoccurring problem, I must say. So uh, to avoid that, I'll tell you about that a little bit later, actually. Um, okay, so after the voiceover, then, then I will make what we call the style frame boards. So it's something like a storyboard, but it is actually the same. What you see is what you get. So it's like the visual representation of the project. So it's also very important for the client at this point to say, this is exactly what I want it to look like, et cetera. But in this particular project in MAD, I was working with a graphics designer. So the graphic designer actually designed a lot of the characters and the icons and things like that. And I put them together in the scene. Um, and that's when things got a little bit wonky because um, at one point we didn't know whose role was to make the scenes. And the graphic designer wasn't listening to the project manager at some points. And there was some confusion with the roles. So we had to have a meeting about it and like reestablish who's doing what, what role is whose. And then, you know, it ended up working out. So that was one of the things that um, we had to work on as a team, to making sure that everybody's role is clear. Okay, so then after we have the style frames in place and they've been approved, don't forget the that essential step, uh, then the animation starts. And this is the heavy duty stuff. So, I mean, it takes a long time to animate things. So you really, really want to make sure that all the steps before have been taken care of. And it happened where, because some of the people doing the scripts were also the CEOs of the company. So they had like multiple things that they were doing and they got a little bit too um, chaotic, I'm sure. There were people that were like getting sick and they um, didn't have enough rest and things like that. So the time management for the first round was a little bit upside down, uh, but that improved. So after the animation then we kind of go through everything as a team. It gets sent off to the product team first. And then they, we have like kind of um, a review document and then each person has to write a review. 
if there's a scene, they need to write the time code and adjacent to that, uh, what they suggest should be changed. And then at the end of the day, the project manager decides whether it's worth being changed or not. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the and there you said the request sheet was basically just a spreadsheet uh, that was kind of like requesting a task from yes. another uh, person working in the team. Exactly. And then I would write the date uh, when I need it by, and then he would basically tell me if that's possible or not. And then he would write the estimated time delivery dates and things like that. So that's kind of how we worked. It was quite efficient, actually. I like that idea. It's uh, got some accountability there. The project manager can see yes, exactly when it was. Yes, the project manager basically check up that we're both doing that. Nice. Yeah, I know some people use like things like Trello. Where they, it's more like laid out in boards. And then yeah. it's like a little card that comes up. Uh-huh. But same idea with the spreadsheet, right? We, we don't need all these complicated tools to do most of the things that we need to do, right? You can just use documents, you can use spreadsheets, and then the required tools that you need for the creative work, right? Whatever we're all comfortable with. Yeah, because before you know it, you're spending a ton of money on apps. Okay. And then again, in the beginning, there were a couple of videos that we had to go back and change the whole thing. So just because of like a couple of lines (laughs) that were not, they didn't like them in the script. In fact, the first course that we ever did because the brand guide, the brand guide that we were using was the old brand guide. So that was unclear. And then also um, they hadn't written scripts before. So the scripts were not good enough and they decided to scrap the whole of the first course and we redid it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I got paid twice. So I'm not going to say Yeah, sure. It just increases the budget to the mm-hmm, project mm-hmm. and that's the yes, project exactly. manager's job to decide if it's worth it. Exactly. So then the second time we did everything, it went so much more smoothly. Everyone kind of knew their roles. Uh, Communication-wise, what do we need? What do we use to communicate? We use an app called Slack. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It's extremely useful, but even that can get really chaotic um, if you don't have certain guides, guidelines, um, and rules that you have in place with your employees. Again, that's the project manager that's taking care of that. Then we also used Loom video a lot because, um, so what ended up happening is I had to help educate the clients on how, what I actually just mentioned before, the steps of creating a video. So I created a document, actually Craig and I had one from our previous projects for the iExplainer videos. Um, I created a document which they circulated in the product team and beyond. And then also I made a a Loom video to go along with that. And then I suggest that um, whenever you get a client, you should really carefully go through the steps with them so that they understand because you can, number one, um, people don't understand what you're doing and they think it's a lot more simple than it actually is. And that's definitely a reoccurring problem. I'm sure every creator in whatever field you are, has the same problem. <laughs> so you, it's kind of your job to educate the client on what you're actually doing and how much time is involved. So personally, I actually used something, I for my own time management, I used something called a project workflow sheet, which I'm actually going to give to Craig and you guys are welcome to use it. And it not only helps me to realistically kind of know how much time each project is going to take me. It helps me to do my schedule. And then I can actually quote 
more appropriately. So when I first started um, freelancing, it was incredibly difficult for me to uh, work out how much I should be charging clients. And, you know, that's still a work in progress. But the sheet kind of helps helps me realize how much work is involved. And uh, you also have to be very clear to the clients on what is it that they are looking for and explain to them that certain things cost more money. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try to tease apart a few of those things. Sorry, was I just a- went on there forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big endeavor. I don't think... Um, if you haven't made any type of course or, you know, you've never put this type of extended type of content, particularly with that involved motion graphics and, and whatnot together, you really have no idea what it's like. So it really is crucial. And that's why I'm, I'm glad that you're going to you're going to share that document that that also helps uh, freelancers um, can kind of budget their time. But it, but it can also help. Um, the other side, the, the person that's hiring them to understand maybe just to see that piece by piece, this is what needs to be done. Um, and it's so critical using a tool like Loom, you can go through um, your steps, maybe the tools you're using and, and show some examples of what you have to do in each process, uh, step of the way. Um, this can help communicate more clearly the time costs yeah. that is, that's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, having that review period that you said in between each step to make sure that this has been approved, you're okay with this design, the the script or whatever it is, is in a good place so that we can go on to the next phase so that, you know, and at the end, you don't, you try your best, even though it's going to happen at some point, probably you try your best to avoid going back and having to rework a lot of material and spend a lot of extra Mm -hmm. money Mm -hmm. on that project. And, I can sympathize with everything you just said, for sure. <laughs> um, trying to take on just music projects, not, not even involving video. Yeah, there's no way that you can know all of these steps involved to create any kind of product if you've never done it before. And that's kind of what you jumped into is what it sounds like. And then you said it it worked out in the end, I like, guess it keeps getting better. And that's great because right. the team's still in place or our majority of the team's still in place. There's some more documents that are there that can be used. So some maybe standard operating procedure type of things, mm-hmm. or at least just the knowledge base between the people working on the project. They understand what everybody's supposed to do and exactly. what they don't have exactly. to do, more importantly, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also had this, uh, which was very helpful. Each person in the product team had something called a request form, which is a Google spreadsheet. And basically the project manager will put your task on there. And then you have to give a estimated date on a delivery date. And then there's like um, another column saying, if you're waiting for work from somebody else, like from the graphic designer and stuff, and then she will, or he will uh, kind of look at those documents and just follow up with people to make sure that they get to those deadline dates. So this, that's the steps that I mentioned were, for that particular project. But if you don't mind, I want to actually read the general steps that I would um, use for any project because uh, there was a part in the beginning that I left out, which we didn't do with this project because there simply wasn't enough time. But something that I think is really important is uh, creating a mood board. 
So I don't know if you guys know what mood boards are, but basically uh, you just go, on, it's actually quite, quite fun. It's like kind of like house hunting or something. And you go onto the internet and you just look for associations of this idea that you've come up with. And uh, a lot of people use Pinterest, which I'm not personally a fan of. Um, let me see, what are the other things people use? There's one that is a multi cross-platform tool, which means like multiple people can use it and it's called Envision. Okay. And uh, personally, I use Canva to design the mood board because sometimes clients want to see the mood board because they want to be involved in every single step. And it can also help them to envision their own idea, right? Because you're, you're the one that's helping them along. For, so for collections, people use Pinterest, Go Mood Board, Envision, okay? And uh, for the actual design of the mood board to show the client, if that's what you're going to be doing, I would use Canva. And the new one is Adobe Express, which has an AI in it, which is very uh, helpful. And you can just chop up stuff very quickly and make it look great. Yeah. And these yeah. tools are kind of like a, a mind map uh, type of thing, or is it just like images oh, and yes. texts, like so, just randomly placed on a kind of whiteboard area? It depends area. what you want to do. But yes, yeah, some of these tools actually involve having like, you can put notations down, you can put timelines down and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Which I think is really helpful. I know that uh, we like to plan things. Craig got me into planning a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another thing that in MAD that we didn't do, which is uh, typically common to do, is after designing the style frames, so you got your, like, let's just say storyboards because everybody knows that a term. Um, so once you got your storyboards and the voiceover, it's very common to ma make a animatic. So it's just the still frames unanimated with the voiceover. And uh, that's very helpful sometimes just because when you see it like that, you realize if things are going to work or not. Yeah, you can hear the pacing of it. You can see a visual representation, even though it may not be moving at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you get the flow uh, sure. of something more, more sure, than sure, just sure. a still image with text, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. And then something that I do personally, I know a lot of animators do it as well, um, but not for this kind of project, more for creative things, um, is I have a, a little drawing book that I carry around with me. And then I actually plan out the animation like that so I'll draw the little circle that's going to move that way and then the thing's going to pop out there just to kind of like map it out in my own mind super rough you're not going to be showing anyone that sketchbook for sure <laughs> right uh well it might be cool I mean, sure I'm sure I would be interested in looking at that but it reminds me of uh stuff I'm learning now I'm just just beginning to dip my toe in like the coding world and I'm um, learning how to write pseudocode and pseudocode is like far removed from mm -hmm. actual code, uh, but it's doing the same thing in text form. You're just trying to speak out or like write out yeah. what you're trying to accomplish with yes, the okay. code. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly That's the same thing that you're doing with your, cool. your sketchbook. And, and I'm sure any artist, you know, if you're a visual artist, you probably have a sketchbook that you uh -huh. just jot down ideas. Just like if you're a musician, you're probably recording things on your phone as they come to you, right? So everybody does a form of this type of note taking uh -huh. sure, in sure, your sure. in your own way. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast about the scientist that made the light boat um, sailing through space. And he said that the time where he got his best ideas, he was always in the shower. 
<laughs> I, I'm sure we can all relate. <laughs> yeah, we. I actually talked about this with another one of the guests, uh, oh, really? Travis McDonald. We had this similar kind of thing we were talking about the moments when you're not really thinking so hard mm, about something exactly. are the the ones where you get the most insights. I think like. it's also when you um, have less uh, noise around you because I mean he has a family and stuff so he's probably away from his kids he's in the shower the water must be quite hypnotic but anyway so what his wife did is she actually got him a waterproof notepad so he writes all of his amazing, I think he actually came up with the idea for the light cell in the shower. <laughs> ah, I've heard about people that, that, that will write on the tiling of their oh, their showers, cool. you know, like just have a marker there mm. so they can do the similar type of thing. Cool. So yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, I mean, that's just a hack right there, I guess, to, to use one of those hacky words. Um, but yeah, wherever what do you, you tend, do, do you record yourself on the phone? Yeah, I, I, okay. I tend to take notes with audio. So I'll just like, I'll drop a, a quick audio note to myself and I probably don't review them enough, <laughs> but, uh, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll actually, I do use one tool called, uh, Otter, but there, there are a few tools out there oh, that really? can actually transcribe the audio into text. Uh, I've seen that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, That's so helpful. Look, look at, look up one of those sure. and that way you can search through the information really yeah. quickly to try to find that idea that you had. Uh, unfortunately, I get most of my ideas while I'm riding on my, riding my scooter. For some reason. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> bit tricky. Gonna... Yeah, you can't do anything. They just kind of kind of come in and out. There's so many like amazing ideas I've come up with and then just forgotten to record them after. There have been one or two times where the idea was good and I actually pulled over and just wrote it down quickly, but that doesn't really happen often. <laughs> and now for a quick word from my sponsor, me. Are you a creative genius and entrepreneur? Well, listen up because this message is for you. Are you tired of spending countless hours struggling to find the right sound or asking your virtual assistant to come up with something else? Let me be your audio specialist extraordinaire. With refined taste and a keen focus on project management, sound design, and post-production services, I'll take your audio to the next level. Imagine having a dedicated expert by your side, ensuring that every moment with sound is perfectly balanced. From creating captivating podcasts to producing moving music. Let me be your secret weapon for professional grade results. Don't miss out on the opportunity to make your audio dreams a reality. Visit my website at ideafield.pro or drop me an email at dream at ideafield.pro to schedule a free consultation. We'll have a virtual coffee chat where we discuss your ideas, favorite styles, and maybe even your secret singing aspirations. Let's bring your audio dreams to life. Together, we'll create magic. Now back to the episode with Rosalind Lima. Well, I'm going to switch gears just a, a little sure. bit. So I know you've been working with uh, many different people. You know, you've worked with content creators, um, you know, nonprofits uh, and, and media companies before. But in terms of collaboration, you know, as a contract worker on various projects, how do you ensure efficient collaboration and effective communication. I, you mentioned Slack, but you know I, I know things can get lost. You mentioned that it's hard to keep things organized within Slack. And uh, how do you just collaborate with people? Okay, so I've been pretty lucky that most of the projects I've done, I've always had some, I've been shepherded 
So <laughs> I've either had a project manager that kind of shepherds us or I've worked with a colleague that does like most of the client liaison and things like that. But when it comes to collaboration, um, I'm often working closely with only one or two people. So then we'll collaborate by actually just talking face-to-face on Google Meets or whatever, or messaging each other or sending each other Loom videos. And how often would you say you do that on some like larger project like you just worked on with Matt? I would say that uh, the graphic designer and I were in touch on a weekly basis. Yeah. But we mostly used um, text messaging in Slack. So we had our own little personal group in Slack with just him and I. And we would also leave notes on the Google documents that we were using to review each other's work and things like that. Um, Also, I'm sure most design software has this. We only use Adobe, so I'm not sure of the other ones. It's incorporated into the software. So when he did a design, then I can actually just review it within Adobe. Yeah, so I've got the design up or whatever, and then I can actually write some stuff there Um, suggestions, et cetera. And then in terms of uh, when I needed something, I would use that thing that I I mentioned earlier called the request sheet. So I would pop onto his request sheet and write, like, I need an icon for this, so I need whatever. You know, whenever we're talking about content creation, we're talking about making a lot of different types of things, complicated things, which you're involved in. Are there any key steps that you like to follow that really make sure that everything's smooth beside um, the review steps that you mentioned, the storyboarding steps, um, you know, anything that might give us more insight about when or where are those problems and how can we avoid those? Again, I'm going to say the biggest problem is when the client doesn't know what they want. And then they keep chopping and changing stuff. And honestly, I can't specifically say because it's been in each step. (laughs) Sometimes it's the script. Sometimes it is the the way the animation looks, the style of it. And uh, even though you've told the client or tried to explain to them how the process works, they don't seem to get it sometimes. And then they'll go back and change things. So again... The only thing I can suggest is making it clear to the client that it's going to cost them more money. Um, That seems to work. (laughs) That if they're going to change their minds um, in a step that has been approved already and you have to go back and change things, then they're going to have to pay. So before, when I first started out, I was doing reviews for free. Now, uh, for the first review of whatever it is, I charge 50% and then the fee gets higher and higher as we go. So that seems to solve the problem pretty quickly. Mm, Yeah. I see. So basically what I would call, you're calling a review. I I think I would typically refer to it as a revision, but correct me if I'm wrong. It's when you have to go back and change something off of something Mm -hmm. that you've already created based on something they suggested most likely or approved. And so other than the pricing that you're talking about here, where um, you're making the client consider it more, (laughs) <laughs> you know, thoroughly before going back and making a change to something because it will will cost them more uh, money. Is there any other like things that you've encountered with the teams as far as executing their plans that have kind of uh, cost more time, um, you know, more effort on anybody's part? Have there been any miscommunications uh, or things like this? 
yes, I have had some miscommunications with some of my coworkers, particularly the graphic designer. Once I had an issue where they had, because they were a beginner designer and they had no experience in making content for um, motion graphics. And there's a certain way that the file should be delivered. So I, again, I made a Loom video and I actually showed him how to do it, um, but he still kept on messing it up. So I find a, found a different solution, which is great for all of you guys out there. It's, it's a plugin called Overlord and you can th- uh, use any Illustrator file and just import the file into each element of the design into After Effects without any problems. So like imagine you've got your Illustrator app open and you want just that one little circle there. You literally just click on it and there's the Overlord um, is an extra window now. And then you click one button and it immediately transports to After Effects in the perfect format instead of bothering with um, designers not knowing what they do. <laughs> Amazing. It's a uh, lovely tool. People are creating tools to solve these problems that we're having w- with this kind of strange issue where if they just would have delivered the file in the right place to begin with. It wouldn't be an issue. But I think everybody's found themselves in that type of situation from time to time. I know just working in audio, you know, people have lost project files. So they're only left uh-huh. with the kind of last mix that they had. And then they're giving it to the next uh, engineer. And they're like, can you help me get rid of this or, you know, change this? And it's like, well, that's going to be very, very tricky because it's <laughs> all together now oh in a file, just like I'm yeah. sure you're dealing with. But yeah, we, we, there's some great tools out there. Uh, if you dig like the one you just mentioned, so we'll definitely put a link. We'll sure. try to try to get a link to that if you're an Illustrator user or uh, After, After Effects, Effects. Yeah, it's user. cross-platform. It's very, very helpful. Awesome. So I know we, we've just been talking about your kind of professional life, um, a majority of the time uh, here and all the tools that you're using, um, how you're communicating with the team and uh, all the challenges that we all come across. But... Uh, you know, I'm curious now about how you balance your professional commitments and personal life and uh, how do you maintain this healthy work-life balance while pursuing the things that you're really passionate about? Like uh, you're talking about sustainability, um, you're, you're passionate about the environment, and I know that you also do some illustration as well um, on top of doing uh, multiple other things for income, as, as freelancing and teaching well, you know, again, it's a, another work in progress. Um, I think you have to just be realistic and make limitations for yourself. And I assign periods of time to each thing per day. Um, and it's, I think, linking them to one particular habit. Um, for example, t- I teach in the mornings, um, as Craig calls it, the golden handcuffs. Uh so I teach in the mornings and that kind of like sets things up. So that that sets up the rest of my schedule for me already. So I've got the teaching in the morning and then I assign different periods of the day to do certain things. So I have a period of the day where I do freelancing. And I have a period of the day where I do communications. I have a period of the day where I'm doing like course learning. Always learn more, guys. <laughs> and uh, you just assign things that are the focus of your life. 
and um, you assign periods of time to that. It's just, I mean, it sounds pretty simple, but it's <laughs> not that easy to maintain sometimes. Um, in terms of, you know, people can get anxious and overworked, um, especially when you have deadlines looming and there's, you know, a lot of pressure involved in the creative industry. And I think doing some meditation, daily meditation is essential, even if it's only five minutes. There's a lot of apps out there. I mean, there's a lot of even free YouTube videos and stuff. I personally use Headspace, Headspace. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that use it. And I think it's helpful, especially when you're in a rush and you tend to get anxious, um, which I certainly do. Uh, doing five or 10 minutes of meditations can really, really help. Another strange thing is when you're like in a block and you're feeling super stressed out, taking a nap. I know it sounds super weird, but it really works. Um, if you're feeling tired and overstressed, got deadlines looming, all that kind of thing, you kind of had a block on how to do something, whether it's technical thing or creative thing. Uh, I find having a little sleep and then it kind of like sort of remixes and defrags your brain and then you're ready to go when you wake up. It always helps me. I don't know about you. Oh man, uh, sleep is really high on my priority list for <laughs> sure. Uh, me and my partner, we try to get seven to eight hours a night if we sure. can. Um, but uh, take naps. I did. I actually took a nap earlier today because I woke up ridiculously early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does. Uh, sleep is uh, a magic pill in a lot of ways. What about, um, would you say like you practice any kind of exercise? Sure. So uh, actually Craig and I were doing some exercise together um, to hold each other accountable. And now we're kind of doing it on our own. So I'm doing it with my partner at the moment. And again, it's making, assigning a time and sticking to it. Because as soon as you start chopping, changing the schedule, then you're, it's going to be more and more difficult to actually do whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. So I think that assigning a time and getting, getting there is one step, two steps. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Two big steps. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, it's always a tricky balance. Uh, what do you think about uh, the ability to be like flexi flexible with that type of block scheduling? I, I hear a lot of people talk about this type of block scheduling. And um, I know for me, sometimes it's really challenging to, you know, move things around or just allow myself to not quite get to a block or have to put off things. How do you deal with that? For me, it's easy to stick with it because I already have things that can't really be changed. For example, working in the morning and I have two dogs and I have to work, walk them at a certain time. So that's kind of where I get to exercise, not only my body, but also my mind and my eyes. I recently developed some eye problems. So I've been actively trying to spend more time outside. So having those things slots in the day are actually helping me to keep the other blocks in place. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. they rarely move around they for They rarely you. move around. But, you know, sometimes, uh, for example, one of our friends is in the hospital at the moment. I've been trying to go there every now and then. So I, I have been moving blocks around. But it's, I think you need to have enough free time somewhere in your schedule that you're able to mix it around with that, I guess. So I would typically not be working like after eight um, but I am sometimes willing to change that around. So for example, I will switch the hospital time to the working time and then I'll do the thing in the evening, which I wouldn't typically do like that. 
you got to be flexible. Um, you know, you can't be rigid in everything because this is a fluid industry. <laughs> it's going to be changing and you got to adapt and be fluid with it. Yeah, everything these days is basically changing so quickly. Um, so I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I just want to talk real briefly about your graphic design, the things that you're putting out as a Baobab Inc., I believe. If, forgive me if I'm saying that incorrectly. No, that's right. <laughs> the Baobab tree. The uh, Baobab tree. And yeah. uh, it's a really cool tree. If you haven't seen one of these trees, you should definitely look it up. And yeah, then, some of them are older than the Egyptian times. Uh, that's ridiculous. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, can you just speak uh, really quickly about that initiative? Okay. It was actually an idea from my friend Ryan Jones, who does the same thing. So he spends a ton of time doing all of this marketing and working for an agency. And, you know, as a creative person or as creators, we always conforming to someone else's idea of creativity. So I think it's a good exercise to still do little sideline projects uh, of your own or else, you know, you need to inspire yourself. So one of the things I like to do, but I don't necessarily make money from it, is doing a little bit of illustration work. So I decided to put my art on t-shirts and then I give a hundred percent donation of my artist profits to the Eden reforestation project and also the defenders of wildlife, which are two organizations I really care about. And then not only am I um, doing something for the environment and for wildlife, I'm also exercising my creative ability and learning more things. <laughs> yeah. I love that about you, Raj. You're always, experimenting, you're always trying new things, trying new tools, um, trying to take on new uh, responsibilities and, uh, you know, just putting yourself out there. I think that's really important and, and everybody can learn a lot from you about that. Thank you. I think uh, I learned from the best and he's sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, is there any last maybe pieces of advice you know, um, from your positive or negative experiences um, that you'd like to leave the listeners uh, with either the, as artists or as teams who are looking to begin a new project or maybe improve on their current workflow? Yeah, there is actually something I want to say is so important is just to be inspired and uh, keep looking, watching, reading, immersing yourself in other people's work. So, um I make it, I make some time every week to kind of go on the other platforms, either listening to podcasts or checking out new animations. Uh, and some of the places I, I like to go on, Stash. Um, so this is like a curation of motion design, animation, video, visual effects from most of the top designers out there. And another one is called the Inspiration Grid, which by the title, I think explains itself. So it's just got lots of different artwork on there that can inspire you. And, you know, uh, just walking around, I have an app called, it's for free, it's called Adobe Capture. And then whenever you see like a color or a pattern or something that somebody's done that you like, even like the pattern on a leaf, something in nature, a sound you hear, whatever, you just record it with that app. So don't only be inspired by other people, but be inspired by things around you. And uh just keep trying, keep learning, and just keep being inspired and surround yourself with people 
that are as hardworking and as creative as yourself. Yeah. Yeah, the community you're with, uh, your environment that you're in, um, and using tools that you have at your disposal to, you know, capture those things, record them, and try to put them into some kind of creative outlet, which you've paired beautifully, um, donating to charity and, and inspiring yourself and others. And then working in teams and sharing all your insights today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for us. And that wraps up my conversation with Rosalind Lemma on this episode of Field Talk. It was such a pleasure hanging with her and hearing her insights and experiences in the creative industry. From the importance of continuous learning and taking courses to adapting and exploring different roles, there were so many valuable takeaways from this conversation. Here are my three favorite action items. Number one, invest in continuous learning and professional development. Like Roz, recognize the importance of staying updated with evolving technology and industry trends. Enroll in relevant courses or workshops to expand your skill set and improve your work. And seek out online courses such as School of Motion or other education platforms to enhance your knowledge and stay competitive in your field. Number two, prioritize effective communication and collaboration. Clearly define roles and responsibilities within your projects or teams to avoid confusion and conflicts. Regularly communicate with your collaborators, clients, or team members to align expectations and address any concerns or issues that might arise. Embrace feedback and actively participate in the feedback loop, providing constructive suggestions and incorporating feedback into your work. And number three, support causes and give back through your creative work. Follow Roz's example and find ways to use your creative skills to contribute to causes you care about. Whether it's donating a percentage of your profits, collaborating with nonprofits, or creating awareness through your work, find opportunities to make a positive impact. Use your platforms to raise awareness and advocate for social or environmental issues that align with your values. Again, those three things were embrace continuous learning from courses to new technologies and never stop learning. Clarify roles for effective communication and collaboration to avoid confusion and issues. And give back through your creative work and contribute to causes you care about to feel more fulfilled. Remember, these takeaways apply to professionals across various industries. Whether you're in the creative field or not, these insights can help guide your career growth and personal development. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more discussions with industry experts, make sure to subscribe to Field Talk. And if you know someone who would enjoy and benefit from this episode, please share it with them. I'll be back with more valuable insights and discussions to help you navigate the professional world. Until then, keep exploring and stay creative.